Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. Photos matter. We have, we use models in our properties in Scottsdale for some of them. You might be like, have you ever seen a model? How many times do you see a model in an Airbnb photo? You Never. rarely do, yeah, right? But it's a Barbie pink house intended for bachelorette parties. All of a sudden, you can visualize yourself there. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I'm excited that you are here with me. I'm excited to have this interview, guys. I am interviewing Seif Kafigi. He is an ex-techie, worked for Facebook, turned real estate investor who has helped thousands diversify into real estate after spending, like I said, five years at Facebook, where he built the second largest engineering organization across the world. 1,000 hires later, it hit him. The company's most important asset is its people. Now, ironically, we talk a lot about tech in this interview, and I, I really think I want to get uh, Seif back for another uh, interview in the near future and talk all about people, how to hire great people and all that. But we talked a lot about tech, and we talked a lot about short-term rentals because that's what he is doing right now. He is building a short-term rental machine. He is just buying tons and tons of short-term rentals. He's bringing in investors who are investing in that, diversifying their portfolio. And he's just got all this tech around the short-term rental game, which is super, super interesting to me. And we had a really, really fun interview. Uh, I always know a good test of whether or not the interview was going good for me and if I'm enjoying it is how close we get to the time that I sort of commit to my guests ahead of time that I will let them out of the interview, right? And we usually shoot for, you know, from from the time they log on to Zoom to the time that we say goodbye after the interview, like no more than an hour. And we pushed it right to the last second because I was just having so much fun and I was learning so much and having a great uh, time in the interview. And I hope that comes through. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I give you a Without any further delay, Seif Kafigi. All right, Seif, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for being on Just Start Real Estate. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. 
yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, and I'm excited because I, I kind of shared with you before we got started here that I, I looked in as I do with all my guests. I look into what we're going to be talking about and what you do and kind of what your superpower is and your journey and some of the things that you that you talk about. And uh, I'm personally excited to to get into this conversation because you hit on some things, some things that you like to talk about and you're great at that I'm very interested in and love talking about, and I think are are game changers for folks. So uh, I'm excited for the conversation, but let's give people who didn't do the research on you yet, which is probably most people listening, and uh, give them some background just briefly, where, who you are, where you come from, and, and why we should be listening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the intro. Um, my name is Seif. I'm the co-founder and CEO over at TechVestor. Uh, we're one of the first data-driven and tech-enabled short-term rental funds, uh, short-term rentals, aka Airbnbs. Uh, that allow you to invest passively into the asset class without doing all the work that usually comes with it. No toilets here, as many people will say in the real estate space. But in the Airbnb industry, that means no finding it, no designing it, no furnishing it, no running it, no operating it. It's a completely passive experience. Um, or we can give you what we call an Airbnb in a box, the turnkey short-term rental, and hand it over to you and manage it for you as well. So those are the two services we predominantly offer uh, our company is a little over, a little under a year old uh, at the recording time of this episode, at least. And uh, we have kind of hit the ground running. Uh, we run today about a $20 million short-term rental fund. And all of those are passive investors. We're in eight, nine markets. Uh, we've hit the ground with really great performance out the gate, uh, even in these inflationary environments. And short-term rentals are, in our opinion, are the next great asset class to be institutionalized. Uh, simply because people will chase yield, people will chase flexibility, uh, and the COVID pandemic really changed human behavior, uh, which if you look back at every other turning point in history, there was something that changed uh, human behavior back in the 90s with storage. It was the rise of things like Amazon and the need for more space um, and direct-to-consumer and retail and e-commerce. Uh, today and after the pandemic, people are seeking mobility, flexible lifestyles, remote work, the ability to go to a cabin for two days or go to a new city for a month. And it doesn't really impede their workflow, their family. They can just pick up, go pack and have a good time and get their work done and go out at night or go snowboard during the day. All of those things are behaviors that we're betting on. And so far, I've been really privy to what we're doing. And we come from a tech and data background. I'm ex-Facebook myself. Sabrina, who's my co-founder, is ex-Apple. And we entered into this real estate space, which is very old school, archaic, uh, not a lot of uh, invention, uh, for lack of a better word, that has come, especially in the short-term rental space where 95, 98% of it are mom and pops and there are no institutional Blackstones and Black Rocks. So the, uh, the iPhone 4 camera pictures that we compete with are uh, low hanging fruit for us to really dominate an industry. And we're early movers in the space. And uh, we've been privileged enough and blessed to be uh, in a position where we're accelerating our growth and uh, you know, happy to share that with the world today. Okay. So I, I am, if you've listened, people who are listening now, if they listen to me in the past, they know I'm not, my goal is never, ever to just be provocative or start asking hard questions and make people uncomfortable. However, I do want to ask a couple of things because I know for the hardcore real estate people listening to this, they're going to have a couple of questions and, and they come to my mind too. Number one, 
am I hearing you right that you've essentially been in real estate for less than a year? Before that, you were just you were tech, you were Facebook and and Apple, but you weren't you weren't like passive real estate or like I'm sorry, you weren't um, part time real estate investors who sort of like found this other way, and you, and you also happen to have a tech background. You are a tech person who's recently got into real estate. Is that is that fair? Uh, not exactly. And thank okay. you for clarifying. Okay. So we did have a part-time quote-unquote uh, real estate background. Uh, both Sabrina and I have owned real estate in the past, operated Airbnbs, uh, not to the magnitude of a you know eight or nine-figure portfolio. Um, we've invested passively in syndications. Uh, we've been in that, you know we've never been in an operator perspective of managing someone else's money. Gotcha. Uh, this is absolutely our first year in doing so. And um, you know, we, we've, we've done fairly well thus far in kind of hedges. Okay. So for the record, it doesn't really matter. I just want to clarify all that so people understand mm -hmm. uh, who they're talking to. Okay. So the next question I would have as this like real estate guy who's seen some market fluctuations and changes over the years, wh why do you not... It sounds like you're going all in on short-term rentals, right? And a lot of people call them Airbnb, but that's not necessarily accurate. There's a lot of other, right? It's just sort of like the generic thing that people understand. But why you're going all in on, on short-term rentals. This isn't a fund that does short-term rentals and, oh, by the way, we do multifamily and all this other stuff. You do short-term rentals. Why are you not afraid that short-term rentals is a trend or a fad or something that is hot now but will not be hot in five years? What 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 makes you believe this is here to stay? A few things. First and foremost, they've been around for decades. Uh, vacation rentals, timeshares, they've been around for decades and decades and decades. Um, so the, the trend has been here and it's stayed and it, we believe it'll continue to stay. Okay. Uh, secondly, we believe in human behaviors that people want experiences, they want local experiences, and uh, predominantly the niche within short-term rentals that we tend to focus on are going to be a four-bedroom or larger home, mm -hmm. meaning if you're traveling with a group, um, you are more inclined to stay in an Airbnb or a short-term rental versus a hotel. First and foremost, it's more economical, um, nine times out of 10. Uh, you get the amenities and staying together, which is oftentimes the important part of being in a group setting, yep. uh, is, you know, not necessarily going to your own quote unquote room um, and in a hotel, you know, on a different floor or those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, and the experience is massively under uh, appreciated, right? You get the hot tubs, you get these beautiful experiences, you get a, a kitchen. Uh, look, as, as someone who has a 17 month old and another baby boy doing about two days. Um, and, you know, uh, I can't imagine not having space when I'm traveling with kids uh, in a hotel room sounds quite claustrophobic yeah. in God. many ways. It's so funny. Well, first of all, congratulations proactively here. On, and in a couple of days, you'll be a new father. That's great. Um, but it's so funny that you're saying this. I'm, I'm, I, people, if you're just listening to a podcast, you can't see me nodding. But I just went on uh, a trip. And uh, I have I have two daughters and a son, and my oldest daughter has has a few kids, and I'm like, you know what? We're gonna throw every, we're I'm gonna get a, a 15 person van, and we're gonna throw everyone in there, and we're gonna drive. It was it was a, it was seven hours drivable. We're gonna drive there, and before we you know a couple months ago. We were looking for short-term rentals to so that we could be like in a house all together, and we just couldn't find anything. They were either already rented or there just wasn't anything out there, right? And so we ended up in a hotel, and we were like near each other on the floor, but it wasn't awesome, right? Because my daughter had to put her baby to take a nap, and she's like, well, what do I do? I can't leave the room. Like, that's irresponsible, but I'm just going to be stuck in this room. Like, 
There's so many things that would have been better about this trip had we been in a short-term rental with four or five bedrooms and a common area to hang out. And so I'm with you. I think that's great. And it's a good distinction that you're looking for a minimum four, four bedrooms uh, so that groups can can travel together. And, and I get why you would do that. But is there not a place and why 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 not take the two bedroom and the one bedroom and um, there are people who travel who don't need four bedrooms it's one guy he travels a lot he doesn't want to stay in a hotel or whatever right why not why not go for those two is there a reason why you're separating yourself from those yeah there, there's a couple of reasons um uh, i will say that we do explore those options it's not a must have a four bedroom uh, we have a couple of cabins, one, two, three bedroom homes. We definitely have a few. Um, I think it depends on market. And what you'll find with us is we do everything with a data-driven perspective. So for okay. example, in a market like Scottsdale or a market like uh, Clearwater right in Florida, um, I will never buy anything that's not a four bedroom or higher. The market does not demand that in any capacity. Um, now, markets that do demand a one bedroom or a studio are typically, in most cases, where it makes any sort of sense from an investment perspective is um, your metro, San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, where maybe they're there on business or they're there on for some other reason. Yeah. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I have no interest in investing in those locales for a variety of reasons. Uh, price to rent ratio doesn't make sense. Uh, regulation risk doesn't make sense. Um, and you know, the ROI doesn't make sense, right? Unless you're in this for an appreciation play, which is quite literally the opposite, uh, typically of when you think about short-term rentals, you think about yield, you think about cash flow, you think about income generating assets. Yeah. And for us, it's about buying in, you know, markets that are low risk in terms of regulation or have already established, uh, um, you know, ordinances of supporting short-term rentals and here are the rules to follow, um, or buying the right asset. In fact, we, you know, one of the things that differentiates us in the industry is because we came from tech and because we were thinking about how do we buy a hundred properties, we built our own software internally that allows us to find, underwrite, and discover short-term rentals. Currently, we're market mapping is what we call it, over 257 different local markets. And a part of that data set allows us to actually understand what supply and demand looks like, what comes on market. We have an understanding what the best types of assets to own in that market are, including by zip code uh, and by block of, of that neighborhood. Is it a three-bedroom or a four-bedroom or a five-bedroom in terms of price to rent ratio? What's the best to own? Uh, and what the risks of, of each of them are. So our data really guides us to look at this. And fun fact, 94% of the deals we look at suck, right? So yeah. you know, if you're an individual um, without a really clear and identified buy box, which is really our advantage, we know exactly what we want to buy in any locale that we want to enter. And we firmly focus on those things. There is not an unlimited supply. Right. So that's yes. another thing that really gives us a massive edge in terms of performance is, you know, we, we, for example, we just launched a property last week over in the Clearwater, uh, Tampa area. And, uh, you know, that market is not really very design centric. Uh, they are, you know, the listings suck, uh, the, the, the pictures suck from most get from most hosts. We launched a property. We drove $45,000 in revenue in two weeks. Wow. Right. In, in bookings in Tampa. And, wow in Tampa, right? And if you take that same property, that same design, that same experience, and you drop it in Scottsdale, it's almost expected in Scottsdale for you to have that level of luxury or luxe or experience um, with the murals and the Instagrammable moments and all those types of things. Yeah. Um, even though we're in Scottsdale, the things that win in Scottsdale are different, right? And so I can also tell you which of our markets need certain amenities, which ones need hot tubs, which one needs need pool heaters, right? by demand. 
all of these things that we lead from a data-driven perspective, I think this month alone, uh, we're wrapping up here end of September as we're recording this podcast, we'll, we'll beat our pro forma by about 40%. Wow. Um, and that's another advantage we have in short-term rentals versus multifamily and commercial is people always talk about raising rents, right? Yep. And uh, with short-term rentals, we can increase rents nightly tomorrow. Yeah. You know, we don't have to wait for a lease up or a lease expiration in any capacity. Uh, you take Q1 of this year as an example, we had a 73% occupancy rate in our portfolio. Same exact uh, damn near occupancy rate we had in Q2, but we charged 23% more. Our strategy is about finding the ceiling when we think about uh, revenue and performance from an investable perspective. And our properties, to be quite honest, are typically far and above the rest. So we can command and those, those types of features because we are institutionalizing uh, the asset class. We're offering things that other people are not, either by choice or by lack of knowledge, et cetera. Okay. Every time you open your mouth, there's like a hundred questions that come in my head. So there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, fulfill my promise of of getting you out here at a certain time. However, so you said it's seventy three percent occupancy. Uh, is that and you're a data guy? So I'm assuming you, you probably know this. Is that above or below a your goal and b the competition? Great question, and we track, and I can tell it to you right now. Uh, to date, we drive 42% more revenue than the competition in our market and 52% more occupancy. So, for example, when the occupancy was 73, for example, in those markets during that season, uh, we were 52% higher than the average property in that market. All right. I don't. I, I listen to a podcast called My First Million, which I love, and they always have this term of not doing public math. So I won't do public math, but that means they're somewhere in the 20% occupancy, or I'm not doing the, the math exactly, but yeah. I mean, that's insane. They're somewhere in the 20 to 30% occupancy, and you're in the 70s. Like that's, that's happening? Well, so let, let's understand how we're doing the math a little bit, right? Okay. So, for example, if they if we drove seventy three and they were at fifty, right? That twenty three. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Delta, okay, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I got yeah. you. You're not that's saying like, their occupancy is fifty percent lower. You're just saying I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, it's twenty five. It's four. Fifty two percent higher yeah, yeah. than theirs in I relativity. See. This is why I don't do public math because it's embarrassing for me. Um, <laughs> All good. Okay, so. Why why do you think that you're getting better occupancy than they are? Is it purely is it I mean, is it a something, you know, when you go on like uh YouTube and people say thumbnails and titles drive, you know, a ton, like the quality of the video means less than the thumbnails and a title. Are your pictures and your listings driving that? Or do you think it's actually the quality of the amenities, the quality of of the actual uh, you know, house or whatever? Yeah. Um, honestly, it's, it's a lot of everything, but I'm going to break it down in a very simple way here that I think everyone can understand. Uh, we're tech people and people might be like, well, what does that have anything to do here? Airbnb is a product. There's a user journey to how that journey works. Mm -hmm. And here's how it, here's what it is in a very, very simple way. Your average user opens up the app or goes on airbnb.com. They type in a location, how many people are going and when they plan on going, they're going to then open up anywhere between six and 12 tabs based on the first photo that they see, what catches their eye, it's visual, okay? Now, for you to show up on the first page or second page or third page of Airbnb, it's like Google, you have to rank. And there are strategies to rank as a host. Part of that are your photo quality, your description, your reviews, your tenure, all of these things play into this algorithm that allows you to rank. We track ranking by property, by day, knowing exactly what happens, and we can turn them around. 
Ranking is arguably one of the most important things because rarely do you see people going to page 10 of Google. Same thing on Airbnb. Yeah. Once they've opened up six to 12 tabs, they will then wind that funnel down to about three, usually. Those three are going to be something that gives them uh, the amenities that they're looking for. And you have to know what amenities are required in that market. And we do. It's going to be a, a price thing, a price sensitivity, right? Where are you price? Are you looking for something that's luxe? You don't care what kind of occasion? All of these things will kind of factor in. And typically, they're going to send the top two or three choices because typically, it's a female who is finding this property okay. who is then going to send it to a group of people in a group chat yeah. and say, what do you guys think about these? There will be a conversation that will occur. Oftentimes, they will inquire about in with at least two properties and say, Hey, we're a group of X, we're coming here. Like they may have a question or two. And then obviously your hospitality and your guest communications kind of shines there. Right. Yep. And then they're going to go ahead and book based on what they care about. Is it price? Is it amenities? Is it, do you have the things that they need? Can they bring pets? What's important in this market? All these things, again, that we have data to understand what they require. So when you think about us understanding the journey, we optimize for the journey to give us the better, the most optimal chance to rank, to land, and to profit from that journey. Photos matter. We have we use models in our properties in Scottsdale for some of them. You might be like, have you ever seen a model? How many times do you see a model in an Airbnb photo? You Never. rarely do. Yeah. Right. But it's a Barbie pink house intended for bachelorette parties. All of a sudden you can visualize yourself there, right? When you see that, if you're that kind of clientele. Now, would I do this in a family home in the Poconos? Would I add a model in a bikini? Probably not, right? It's yeah. a slightly different um, market that demands that different type of clientele. And so we understand the user journey. We understand how the product works technically. And all Airbnb is a technical product with an algorithm on a very high level service, right? Yeah. So how do we optimize for that to tell the algorithm that, hey, we're friendly, we want you to show us as high as possible. And in doing so, we know what to command. And of course, there's a lot more effort here that goes into what kind of photos, the angles, um, the amenities, like our operational team, our data team. We have a head of data, right? Like all of these things are okay. things that we take fairly seriously. But in a very two, three minute, that's really that journey right there that I kind of explained. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I've never heard anyone approach it like that, obviously. Um Okay, so I understand that you have a proprietary software that helps you underwrite and analyze and, and understand what you're looking for so you know what your buy box is and all that. But how are you actually finding the properties? Are they all like MLS? Do you like, yep. are they off market stuff? Like, how are you finding them? Great question. So, a couple of ways. Uh, we do track the MLS. Uh, you know, we have a couple of advisors on our team, including the founder of AirDNA, Scott, you know, Rob Alvasolo, who's the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, Laszlo, who was previously the SVP of analytics at realtor.com. The reason I bring up these people is key people in key places give us key advantages in key areas, right? Um, it's, uh, it's access. Right, to, for lack of a better word. Um, so, the MLS is one option that we plug into, right? And anytime a property it joins the MLS, we know about it in 15 seconds at the data. It tells us, should we look at it, should we not? Um, we've been doing this enough for enough time in certain markets where deals start to come to us naturally, as I'm sure you understand, right? Mm -hmm. You're a buyer in this market, people know you. The neighbor all of a sudden wants to sell and you know, they look you up. Uh, agents start to be like, hey, you're like, clearly you're not buying just one. They see you as buying a dozen and you, know, you kind of go into that. 
Uh, we also uh, have started doing mailers, right? Mm. So now that because we know our exact buy box in an exact neighborhood, we call it a golden circle. So for example, in Scottsdale, it's an XYZ zip code. It's in this circle. If you ever anyone's gone on Zillow and you can literally just draw the circle, right? We know exactly what we want to buy, what type of property we want to buy, where it's located and what we're willing to pay for. Right. And so based on those things, we can actually send out off market things and be like, Hey, we'll buy your house cash. Here's what we're looking for. Right. And we start to activate those angles. Um, and, and lastly, we do have advantages by working with other offloaders in the short-term rental space. There are a couple of companies in the space who people who have existing short-term rentals. We're looking to offload to us. That's really low hanging fruit because we can go in there and we can typically optimize an existing short-term rental significantly. For example, uh, we bought a property in Scottsdale uh, uh, earlier this year. It was doing about 140 grand. It was its T12. Uh, it's currently forecasted to do about 215 with us, right? So can we go in? We bought it based on value, right? Our entire thesis of our fund and our investment thesis is buy single families based on what they're worth, what their comps, what their appraisals are turn them into revenue generating assets, many businesses for a lack of better word, of which we are going to then sell them based on a cap rate or some sort of revenue multiple as a business. And because short-term rentals are incredibly fragmented, and if I'm a big institution, people ask, why can't institutions do this? Here's why. If I'm BlackRock or Blackstone, I cannot walk into the short-term rental industry and drop $80 million into a building. doesn't yeah, work. Right. Right. So it's too much work to get it done. Now, if someone does it for you, and now we are one of the only people in the space with a portfolio of 100 or 1,000 short-term rentals, and now an institution wants to enter the space, what we've been seeing is we get these calls two to three times a month. Hey, call us when this is done. Why? Because we would be highly interested in purchasing the roll-up of your portfolio. They don't want to buy one. It's not worth anyone's time. What they do want to buy is they want to buy, give me a 1,000 of them across 15 markets with geographical sensitivities. And all of a sudden, I'm going to roll that in because now it's a cash flowing asset and I'm looking for yield in a high inflation environment, levered up. Yep. And oh, by the way, if you guys can stay on and manage it if you can, right? So all of these things are advantages that we have that we see in this market as we kind of get into this space. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you talked about how you find them. Is it is it all, I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway, is it all... Airbnb? Do you use VRBO? Do you do your do. own? You have your own website where people can book directly? Like, What is the plan there? We use Airbnb and VRBO as our two, two predominant ones. Um, you know, We do not believe today that the best use of time and energy is actually to build your own brand or website. And many people may fight me on this opinion. Um, and it's a controversial one. Uh, you know, To build a brand is a completely different thesis and strategy than running a investment fund. It's two very different tasks, mm. right? And two very yep. different things that you would do. Um, Airbnb, in our opinion, for what it costs in terms of their host fee, right, that you pay to be on the platform every time a booking comes through, is incredibly cost effective um, compared to starting, launching, running your own brand and traffic. I don't think, yeah. I, I think a lot of people underestimate the effort of building a brand successfully at a reasonable scale versus going to a marketplace that exists that is specific to this niche has been successful. And 
they often don't find success on those platforms because they don't know how to monetize the product, which is where we excel in understanding the product itself. So we typically focus on those platforms. We do offer another thing that we have is um, all of our investors actually can use our properties. It is an investment that has utility beyond just investment return. And it doesn't affect the return if they book direct, right? Because then we do bypass specific fees on, on you know, Airbnb. It's, a, it's called an owner stay. Right, is, is known in the industry, and you know, you email us, let us know when you're looking to come, and we'll go ahead and block that off for you at, at the pre pre agreed on, on price. Okay. Oh, so it's a price that doesn't fluctuate. You you agree ahead of time, and and that's always just stays the same. Well, so give you an idea. So we use dynamic pricing. So yep. if you're going to book six months in advance, you're going to pay a premium to hold those dates, right? If you're going to, if you know, next, if tomorrow is open, we are going to lower our price as aggressively as possible to try to fill that day because revenue earned is better than revenue lost, yep. right? That's our opinion. Now, if you're going to come tomorrow, whatever you see on Airbnb and VRBO, that's typically inclusive of their fees. Mm-hmm. So if net to us was going to be $1,100, even though the guest sees twelve. What we would charge to our investor who's coming is eleven hundred dollars. Gotcha. It's, I understand. So, so they save some money on the front end, and we and we get the booking. So it's a win win for both parties. Okay. So you're using dynamic pricing. Are you using one of the existing tools out there, software tools, to do that? You didn't come up with your own. Software we haven't come up with our own, but we come up with our own strategy. So we use Price Labs. We're big fans of Price Labs in yep. terms of a tool that allows us to execute our strategy. Now, yep. the strategy itself is proprietary. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Um, and we use RankBreeze to understand ranking. Uh, John, who's our head of data, and Austin, who's our head of revenue. I mean, they're all their entire job to do is drive the most revenue, ranking, and everything on a day-to-day basis for where we're at, how we can improve. And we track this day by day. In fact, we just had our highest week we've ever had. We drove $97,000 in revenue this past week, right? Um, and so that's across, uh, I believe we have 24 live properties at the moment. And those are just bookings that didn't, they didn't happen. I'm talking about future reservations that are on the books. Got it. Okay. So many questions. All right. So as far as, let's just talk, let's talk about, boy, I want to talk about a couple of things. Let, let me go back to what I wanted to originally say before I get excited about my next question. Raising money. You said you have a $20 million uh, fund right now. How are you raising money for this? Because you're relatively new, right? It's not, it's proven, but it's not proven, right? Nobody else is doing what you're doing, really. Not many, many if anybody. So, how are you raising this kind of capital? Yeah. So, I mean, in many ways, like the syndication space in general, right? So, uh, we're creating content, creating education, creating awareness of the topic. Um, we've also found a niche by partnering with uh, multifamily syndicators, and it's a beautiful partnership. Here's why. Uh, multifamily is what many would probably deem as a growth asset class, right? Little cash flow, high yield on equity, um, but it's a three, five, seven year play and you get a lot of your money on the back end, <laughs> right? That's yep. traditional multifamily for you. And so if you're a multifamily syndicator, um, what you lock in your pipeline of deals is yield. And short-term rentals can offer that yield. Um, also, multifamily, many would argue, is to some extent saturated with the amount of competition in the space, um, especially both sub-institutional and institutional, yet no one is doing STRs. And when you can bring a newer opportunity or a more interesting opportunity to your community, those are things that we have been uh, blessed with and saying, and of course, doing beautiful podcasts like this, Mike, um, <laughs> you know, raises education and awareness around the topic. Um, and we get inbound inquiries all the time with people looking to learn about Airbnb investing. We focus highly on education. Gotcha. Um, that is our biggest thing that we do. Um, I think 
passive real estate is an amazing thing that was created and enacted by the Jobs Act. And everyone should consider real estate. That is my firm opinion. But I think a lot of companies lack the education piece, right? They're yeah. like, hey, invest in multifamily. And they're using words like IRR and cash on cash and you know, stabilized deals and unlevered, all these things, right? And your yeah. typical investor is like, lost beyond belief. So the way we truly like to focus things, very similar to the example I gave you on the product of Airbnb, is we like to break things down as simple as possible, right? Yep. And we like to focus on education. We overload you with transparent information. In fact, a common thing from our investors is like, wow, this is a lot of information. I need a lot of time to go through it. And we're like, great, go through it, get comfortable. Um, we're not saying we don't have any risk. Every investment comes with risk. Uh, but we've been blessed enough to be in a position where a lot of our early backers have continued to grow with us. Um, and, you know, here we are today. Okay. So I know the next question is, is uh, it's not tricky, but I understand that there's um, there's legalities and, and, you know, concerns. But what do you, when people, I'm sure you get the question, you probably put it out there proactively in your education. What kind of returns are people getting? What's historical or however you want to phrase it so you stay within the bounds, but how, how can people get an understanding of what it means to invest in this fund? Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, as you mentioned on the legal side, so full disclaimer, right? No guarantees, right? This is not advice, everything that you typically hear. Yep. Um, you know, here's what I tell people who are investing in short-term rentals in general. If you bought back in 2018, you know, on the asset, right? I mean, yeah, you might be able to get a 15, 20% cash on cash. That's not happening today. Right. And I don't care what anyone tells me unless you're managing yourself and it becomes a job. So, uh, you know, returns with us, we project, right. And I'll kind of walk through like basic fund elements here is we target about an eight to 12% cash on cash, uh, on a five year average. Uh, we look to double equity every five years. Um, and that's about a five year hold, uh, which accounts to somewhere between a 17 and a 24% annualized return, depending on how you slice the cake. Um, and again, this is not advice. This is not a solicitation in any mm -hmm. capacity. Um, simply yeah. talking about numbers uh, from where we target uh, in terms of the asset. Okay. And you said it's a five-year term. What happens in five years? Because you're—I assume you're still going to yeah. hold on to these. Are you just going to you just cash people out in five years? No, we fully intend to roll the portfolio up and sell. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Know, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I, I know yeah, you no. kind of mentioned that earlier. I just thought that was theoretical. I didn't know that was actually the plan. Oh, no, we, we've gotten term sheets from institutions saying, here's a 30 million, 40 million, $80 million term sheet. Like, we want this portfolio, assuming you hit XYZ, okay. right? Okay. So we have targets and term sheets from them. And the idea really is to roll it up. Um, and that's really where you get that big pump of equity. Now, can we launch a new offering in the future where it's a forever hold, a 10-year hold? But from what we've seen with investors, um, and I and fully understand why, it's very difficult to see past three, four, five years sometimes for the average individual. And it's, again, understandable so. So it's a very difficult narrative to talk about a forever hold, especially if it's the first time that they're doing business with you in any capacity. Right? So we have a planned exit. Uh, we have, you know, one of my favorite things of our portfolio is all of our debt is 10 years or longer. And people ask mm. me, why does that matter? And I'm like, well, we're never forced sellers. You talk about earlier, yep. hey, Steve, you know, is this your first year doing this? And, you know, it's not, right? We've done this before in our personal lives and professional lives. But the main thing that we're really proud of is our, we're never forced sellers. We cash flow nicely. Uh, we have 10 years of debt right before a balloon payment um, or a variable rate hits us in any of our properties, meaning, you know, and you know this as well, you know, if you can hold and sustain five, 10 years in real estate, 
odds are you'll be more than fine. It's a sustainability game, right? Yeah. It's usually where you go back to 08, people lost their hat and their shirt because they had, you know, 95% of it was arms, adjustable rates and balloon payments. And yep. it was at a time where equity was down, right? And you were forced to sell or forced to find the cash in some other capacity. And right. we will never be in that position unless for whatever reason, something happens five, 10 years from now, that's never happened in the history of real estate. We can't control black swan events, right? But based on historical data, most real estate recovers within a two, three, four, five, six, seven year period. And we feel very well positioned to to take on any risk there. What's what's the let's the minimum you guys will take on if somebody says I'm in, I want to be involved? It's a twenty five thousand dollar minimum. Um, again, not a solicitation in any capacity. Yeah. Um, mostly just for educational purposes, but yep. it's a twenty five k minimum. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about the other model. This is the investment model. You said you also do kind of a done for you business in a box mm -hmm. sort of a, an approach. What does that look like? Yep. So someone approaches us, says, Hey, I want my own short-term rental. We charge $65,000 for the uh, our services to find it, design it, furnish it, set it up, run and operate it. Uh, that includes free property management for a year. And uh, that's our traditional rate uh, with what we do. If you're buying 15 of them, which we have uh, what I like to call institutional clients who come to us and say, Hey, I might be interested in buying 20, then of course, there's a little bit more of a negotiation that happens at scale. Um, and you know, everything else is fairly passive and hands off for you. Um, this is a option that I highly recommend to somebody who wants to DIY has a reason to DIY. Um, it could be for tax purposes, right? There's a, uh, STR loophole in, in taxes that is circulates the internet quite often, um, in terms of what you can do in terms of your active participation with taxes for your W2. Um, or if this is something that you think you want to be hands-on on or use more for your family, and there's other emotional reasons to invest. Other than that, our fund typically is the better option that we see our investors pick because it's passive. You don't have to take on any loans or liability. You know, you get the same K1 pass-through, right? In terms of taxation for depreciation, all that stuff is kind of handled for you without uh, you know, the need of doing it yourself. And honestly, the biggest allure is instant diversification. Unless you have tens of millions of dollars, you're not going to, you know, instantly diversify into 45 plus properties without a right. solution like ours. Okay. So $65,000 covers it. And that includes the cost of the furniture and everything, or it's just like, that's the design. No. It does not include the cost it, of the furniture. Okay. It includes our services to find it, design it and furnish it. Everything else is at cost. What is included is one year of property management. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you say furnish it, you mean literally find it and get it, get it going, but not pay for yeah. the furniture. Gotcha. Okay. Just trying to be clear. Stand so people up, understand. And that's your regardless yeah. of the, the cost of the house, million dollar house, hundred thousand dollar house, it's like 65,000. Same steps we got to take. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That's process. why it's funny. I don't know if you agree with this or, or if you, how you, it sounds like you sort of practice this in your own business, but people talk about, and I've heard this debate, like somebody, will, well, I'm going to buy a really inexpensive short-term rental because I'm nervous and it's like, you know, whatever, but it's the same work that the size of the house, it's just, it's all the same work. It's just, do you want to mm -hmm. make, you know, $10,000 a month or do you want to make $1,000 a month? Like what's, what do you want to do here? So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. It's about risk tolerance, right? And, yeah. and if you have the capital, yeah. right. And we, and we're playing that game in the fund, right. Except we have this beautiful diversification, right. Some of our properties are, you know, they might cash flow $24,000 to the bottom line and people might look at them like that's not enough. Others will cash flow $120,000 to the bottom line, but it's the opportunity cost. And for us, because we use a lot of technology and automation, the pressures of time, we feel less, yeah. right? Because there's less human energy that goes into it, especially on the forefront of a lot of this. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Got you. Okay. So the idea is to roll this up eventually. I, I have a hard time. I don't know you very well. We've only been talking for about 45 minutes now, uh, Seif, but it, it seems... It seems like it's going to be interesting when you do roll this up and you sell and, and you sort of cash out. You have all of this infrastructure. You have a proprietary software. You have this dialed in. And by that time, razor sharp system for acquiring and getting these going. Are you really just going to stop at that point? Or do you see yourself creating something else in the short-term rental space? Yeah, that's a great question and something that we uh, talk about often, right? We have other revenue streams as a company, right? We have property management. Uh, we have software that we can license out, software we can improve on, yeah. uh, turning our the way we manage our portfolio from a revenue management perspective into a software um, that we use today proprietarily. Um, you know, I think a big advantage of us and something we've seen in our early conversations and also a huge value add to our investors is this theory of a prop co and an op co. And that's exactly how we're set up, right? You have a prop co, which is the assets itself, right? There's value in the revenue generating assets. Mm -hmm. But what we've seen in the short-term rental space with early conversations with institutions is they see a lot of value in that, but they say, you know what? We really, really like you to manage it, given you've had this experience and the success to do it. And so there's a value and a premium that we would command if there was a full-on acquisition of the, both the Opco and the Propco. Now, are we interested in selling the Opco today? No chance, right? Um, how would that affect investors? It wouldn't. It would actually liquidate the entire portfolio and it wouldn't, we wouldn't just sell the Opco, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so all of these things add a lot of value in a, in a way that your traditional syndicator or operator doesn't have. Um, when we have software, our team is very STR specific, um, our technology, and of course, our full operational infrastructure, we like to think of ourselves as a uh, mini AWS, right? Mm -hmm. AWS is Amazon Web Services for those who don't know. And the advantage of AWS when they enter the space and why they're one of the largest in the space uh, for cloud computing is the ability to, to do what they call spin up a server. Yeah. You need a server, you can spin it up. Right. And that's really what we're building our business philosophy on is how can we be the AWS of this space? How can we spin up a short-term rental as quickly, effectively, and, and, and profitably as possible? And how do we be the Amazon uh, part of it where we can get distribution, um, aka through capital and network effects, compounding effects, institutions, and the roll-up to bring those two worlds together? Yeah. To us, it's really that simple. Okay. And that's that's amazing. It's a great answer. Um Boy, I'm just watching time here and I have so many things. Okay, couple quick question. You have somebody from AirDNA on your team. He's an advisor, I think you said. I assume he's still with AirDNA. So I'm going to ask you a question that might be difficult for you to answer, maybe. Um, for it's, it's not your deal. I know it's not your game. But people listening to this uh, and are saying, wow, Steve sounds amazing. He's a super smart guy. I just, I, I think anything he says, I would believe and I would, I would do. But they don't have... The proprietary software you have, and and I think one and the reason I'm saying this is your proprietary software that you analyze all these deals, hundreds of deals all over the country, is is a, it would be an amazing a spinoff product, right? That you could that you could offer folks because I think, and I'm speaking from experience because I'm starting to get into short term rental game. Um, one of the barriers to entry or one of the barriers hurdles to to deal with is is underwriting them, analyzing them, and 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 finding data that you can rely on. What 
what software that's out there and available to everybody, not yours, obviously. If you were going to do this as a one or choosy short, you know, small operator, maybe you're going to have a dozen, whatever, and you didn't have the tech background, you don't have the, you know, all the software you have now, what would you use tools that are available to the public? What would you say you would use to try to analyze properties? I'm going to give you an answer that you probably may not like, and I'll tell you why. Um, I would use all of them. And you're, and here's why. Uh, AirDNA is fantastic in some ways, um, in terms of giving you access to some level of data that gives you an idea of what that property may do. Yep. Uh, all the rooms led by Joseph over there, uh, you know, I've gotten, I had the pleasure of getting to know him quite a bit over the last few weeks, and he's been an awesome fellow. Uh, they have some really fantastic uh, VRM and, and PM data that they, that they get in. Uh, Amir and his team over at Rabu, um, super fantastic uh, product, and they have a free tool. It's data.rabu.com. They, you know, they're we're huge fans of them. Yep. Um, Awning, you know, they're a company that's entered this space from an analytical perspective, and uh, one of my favorites that is more manual. But I think if you're seriously considering buying your own property, you should do is sign up for RankBreeze. RankBreeze is going to allow you to understand where other properties rank if you have an existing short-term rental, but most importantly. It's going to show you how they price and you can see how far out they're booked, what their general occupancy looks like. You're going to have to do some manual math. It's not the intention of the product, but it's a way to use the product yep. um, and kind of go from there. And last but not least uh, is actually just simply go to Airbnb or VRBO, but I like Airbnb, Right. enter where you, where this home is as close as possible, find it on a map, find the closest five to 10 competitors, meaning properties that look, feel, and are about the same size as yours. Look at how they're pricing over a weekend, over a day, see if they're using dynamic pricing. You can just play with the dates you're going to go and go from there. Yep. And then create your own analysis between that and all these other data tools. You're going to get a wide array of things. Yeah. Really what you're trying to find in this space is guardrails. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, people are always trying to find perfect answers. And we see this all the time. I, I can't tell you how many times questions I get from this is, well, what's this property going to do in revenue? I'm like, well, if I knew to a dot, I, that would make my life 10 times easier, right? In every possible way. But I can tell you, in fact, when we, when John, who's our head of data, analyzes every property in our portfolio before we buy it, and then again, before we actually sign those docs, uh, we have a 100% confidence level, right? And then we have a 70% confidence level, and we have about a 50. And as you might imagine, the number typically goes up, right? As the confidence goes down. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because we're, we're trying to understand where we can push the upper limits and it's all data driven, yep. meaning there's actual data that suggests if we think we can do 160 at a 50% confidence, there's data that shows other properties that are doing 160. We never forecast that we can do better than what's currently on market, regardless of what we can do. We know we're a better operator in our opinion, but we do not expect to do that. Yeah. We were like, does this property work in this current climate? Last thing, I encourage everyone to use data going back to 2018, 2019 as well, pre-pandemic. I encourage you to compare it. I encourage you to understand trends. I encourage you to understand where you're buying. Would you own here again if something else happened? For example, during the pandemic, you saw a massive rise in uh, secondary tertiary markets, things like mountain towns, beach towns, people getting away because I mean they can't go anywhere else, right? And then, you know, kind of over the last six to 12 months, maybe even, even earlier, you saw almost like this return to cities. Mm -hmm. And it's not that these mountainous towns and beach towns are dying. It's that understand your risk. Yep. 
right? When you buy them. In fact, we our portfolio strategy is very simple. About 50% of our properties are in what we call destination markets, beach, mountain, beach, mountain, ski, etc. And about 50% are in metros, your Scottsdale, your Memphis, your Tampa, Clearwater type areas. And that gives us a really great blend of diversification. You don't get that blend of seasonality unless you own a portfolio. Yeah. And if you don't own a portfolio, just make sure you don't lose your shirt during the months of seasonality, right? In Panama City Beach, which is a market we're in, um, you know, January is horrible. I mean, you're driving, I think it's like December, January, February, you're getting about five, six, seven percent of your year's revenue. And then you have about three, four months in there, and typically around the middle of the year where you're getting like 40, yeah, right? 50. And so if you don't knock it out of the park during those months or your property manager, whoever you're using, it's going to be a tough year, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And especially yeah. if you're using variable debt and all these types of things. So yep. all these things we drive with data to think about risk tolerance and hedging. Okay. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you um, and see how we can do here because I want to respect your time. How much of a problem or not is housekeeping for you? Uh, it's our biggest. Okay. Uh, and any any person in short-term rentals would lie to you if they said it is. Your cleaners make or break your business and we go through more than we'd like to admit to. Um, okay. But we command a certain level of professionalism and quality and we are hyper-local in our markets. We pay them incredibly well. We treat them well with respect and they are one of the most pivotal parts of your business. Gotcha. Okay, next one. We didn't touch on this. This was something I kind of I thought we would spend a lot of time on, but I didn't get to it because there were so many other things I want to talk to you about. But people... Can you give me uh, as quickly as you can sort of a sense of how... Because I, I know people are important to you. You like talking about them. They're, they are your business. They are they make or break the success. How do you find them? How do you get great people? What, what is what is your philosophy there? Yeah, I spent five years at Facebook hiring and recruiting, taking one of our, our second largest engineering team from 89 to over 1,100 people by the time I left. Um, we started this company and our first value, if anyone joins, is people first. Um we cannot do this without our team. In fact, I think our biggest advantage in the marketplace from a competitive perspective across any other competitor that would ever enter this space is our people. Uh, myself, Sabrina, we have built a fantastic team of short-term rental experts in the space. John, who's our head of data, is literally known as the Airbnb data guy in this space. They all joke about it because I slid into every single one of their DMs purposely building this team that we have. Um, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, it is a, our largest competitive advantage. In fact, real estate, I think you and I can both agree to this, is people-driven. We spent a lot of time yeah. today talking about data and technology. Yeah. None of that matters if you don't have the right humans. Yep. None of it matters. Um, you know, Technology is supposed to make our life easier. Technology doesn't do our job for us. Right. That's that's the real estate space, and it will never do the job for you. Right. All those strategies for pricing, we understand it, we can implement it, but software can't actually execute that strategy, unfortunately, because it doesn't take in human demand. Yep, totally. Okay, this is the last, this is probably a bad last question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because I think it's another hurdle for people and you're doing it at scale, you're doing it differently, but I just want to know what your advice would be for, for a person who's not necessarily doing it at scale. Regulations. You mentioned regulations. Uh, intuitively, I think people think you want to go someplace where they don't regulate it, but that's actually the worst possible scenario because they're going to regulate it and you, you're blind to that, right? So you want to go someplace that has existing, maybe mature regulations and you kind of know what to expect. But how do you know? How do you know? How do you do that, I guess, at scale? But then how would you expect, how would you do it if you didn't have this this whole, you know, big machine behind you? How do people know if it's a, it may be great numbers wise, but how do they know if it makes sense regulations-wise? 
The good news is the way we do it and the way the person who's doing it for one property is, is likely going to be the same. Okay. Uh, there's no technology for, uh, you know, automating regulation. Now, can you do a lot of scraping, do some white hat or black hat technology and scrape some cities and some counties? You can. Am I willing to rest, risk a all of that on some software? Yeah. Unlikely. Um, you know, here's what we do. Uh, we gen- we have a general understanding because we have a bigger team. Uh, if you're doing it yourself, you should identify markets. You know, there's lists out there that will give you a general idea mm-hmm. um, of what those markets and locales look like. I can tell you that most major metros are usually not super fans of short-term rentals. Um, and if they are, there's usually regulations. Is it nightly rentals, monthly rentals, uh, through six-month minimums, um, mm-hmm. all those types of things. Go on Airbnb and see where there's a lot of death, right? A, a lot of listings. If you enter a market and there's yeah. five listings... Should tell you something. You're, 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 you know, one thing we learned a long time ago is you're not the first, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, put the pride, put the pride aside and uh, go to it. Call, look it up, search, call the county, look it up. It's, it's a mundane process, unfortunately. Okay. You know, okay. someone out there automated regulation checks. I'd be their first customer, and I would probably I I'd try to acquire that company, um, to say the <laughs> least. Um, but it is not something that's easy. It's also something a lot of people get into without understanding. There's you know, in the place like the Poconos, there's states, there's city, there's HOAs, and there's local townships. There are four four levels of regulation. And if you don't understand it the way we do, you will get lost. Yeah. Um, and uh, to your point earlier, we invest in two types of regulation markets predominantly. It's either welcomed, meaning they say they value it and they like this, or they're dependent on it, right? <laughs> yeah. Meaning the, yeah. the Poconos at $3 billion a year in short-term rental income. I don't care what you tell me, those pockets ain't going anywhere, no. right? Those schools, those roads, nothing happens. <laughs> Scottsdale on the state level is illegal to ban short-term rentals, right? So wow. I feel quite good in investing in Scottsdale for the long-term. In fact, it's on the ballot, I believe, in places like Florida and North Carolina. Places like Asheville, North Carolina, you can't invest in this city, but you can invest five minutes outside of it. Now, is that a worthwhile investment? You know, you, you'll, you'll be the judge. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. Thank you. We were kind of out of time here, but how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you, your website, or if they want to be an investor or just want more information? How can they do that? Yep. So you can find us at techfester.com. Um, I'm simply cfattechfester.com as well for, for email. Uh, tw- uh, Twitter, you know, Taylor's got a, a Mr. Jones STR, so he'll kill me if I don't shout him out on here. Uh, <laughs> he drops a lot of nuggets and facts on there. And, uh, you know, we're a fairly open team. We're incredibly transparent. You know, our goal is to bring more awareness to the industry of short-term rentals in a legal and compliant manner. Um, and we have a couple of vehicles to do that, whether it's that fund or that turnkey uh, Airbnb in a box. Um, and really what we're trying to do is, is make it dead simple, yeah. right? And so if you ever have any questions, uh, you do not need to be an investor in any capacity. Feel free to reach out to us. We're here to help. Um, you know, we don't do anything for free, unfortunately. Uh, I will make that comment because <laughs> I, I get that from time to time. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're hyper focused on you know doing what we do best and leading it with people, technology, and uh, really great process. Awesome. Thank you for your time, guys. All that information will be in the show notes, so don't feel like you have to write it down. Seif's name is spelled S. I-E-F for the record if you're right now if you're emailing him but otherwise it'll be in the show notes Steve man thanks for doing this thanks for being here I appreciate your time it was awesome wealth of knowledge and just such a such a blast so thank you again thanks so much Mike thanks for having me wow that was pretty powerful I don't know about you but that uh, that kind of interview that kind of person really invigorates me and gets me excited Uh, just the whole thinking big aspect of it right like this isn't being done in short-term rentals anywhere. And and they're building something that they already have 
you know, air quotes here, offers to buy. Like they, they just found it something that wasn't being served and they thought big. It's okay to think big, guys. Sometimes, we talked about this during the episode, sometimes it's the same amount of work to do something big as it is to do something small. It's about risk tolerance. And I just think that's a powerful message. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I really enjoyed talking to Steve. That guy is amazing. And uh, I will definitely be staying in touch with him. Okay, guys, until next time, get out there and make your big dream happen. We'll see you next time.